echoing of God's voice in our ears to equip us and to encourage us and to challenge us to be all that you have created us to be and to fulfill the purpose for which you have designed us. So I thank you for each person here um, that you have given them unique skill sets, abilities, personalities, spiritual gifts that can be leveraged for your, your kingdom's purposes. So Lord, I pray that you will direct us as a church as to how we can be most effectively used in the world around us. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, let's take your Bible and uh, let's turn to Acts chapter 7. We are in a series called uh, Hosting uh, the Spirit's Presence. And we're kind of looking at the Holy Spirit's activity throughout the book of Acts. And we, after next Sunday, we're going to take a break uh, for about six weeks. And uh, I'm going to be launching a brand new series on Easter entitled A New Beginning. And uh, one of the things I'm going to be dealing with is what is it that keeps people from truly experiencing the love of God? Uh, sometimes we sit in church and we know about the love of God. We've heard about it. We've read about it. We, uh, we, we believe it's there, but we, we really have some reservations as to what that means for me personally. For example, I know for some of you, because there is evil and suffering in the world, for you, it's like, how could God be loving and allow that to continue? Why doesn't God put a stop to that? Why, why is that continuing on? And so uh, if you want to take your connection card, and uh, maybe during this service or uh, later on, you can just kind of jot down for me, what is it for you that kind of like, you know what, I'm just not sure about God's love for me. I'm not sure about God's love, period, because of this. Well, what, what would that be for you? Um, because we want to try to address the very issues that really are upon your heart. And so today we come uh, in Acts chapter 7. Uh, we are in the book of Acts, and it's the only uh, book that is written by a Gentile writer uh, named Luke. Luke was a doctor. Luke also wrote the Gospel of Luke, which described for us the life and the, the uh, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And all of that has transpired and has taken place. Jesus has ascended back into heaven. And so Luke writes an account of the early church, the early Christians, how it began, what the church looked like, what did the Lord do through them, and how did he do it through them, and uh, how were they to operate, and what power source were they supposed to be depending upon. And so as we have covered the first six chapters, it has become evident that this movement that God has begun through these early believers is unstoppable. Uh, there is no one or anything that can stop what God has, has, is doing through them. For example, uh, the Bible keeps telling us all through Acts that God is performing signs and wonders and miracles. Uh, there's a phrase I told you to underline every time you saw it in the book of Acts. They were walking in the fullness of the Holy Spirit. And as a result of that, they were speaking with boldness. They were living boldly. They were, they, they were just being used by God to literally turn their known world upside down. And, and they were in a very, very difficult situation. Uh, they were living under the Roman Empire, and um, as a result of that, you know, culture was much like ours. We can say all that we want about what the world looks like now and how dark it is and how things seem to be getting worse, but it wasn't any better for them. The, the same things that went on today are the, it, 
even to a degree worse in the Roman Empire because humanity, the heart of humanity, has never changed. Only God can change a person's heart. And so God launched out his, his new believers upon the world. And as we noted last week, for every action that God takes through his people, there is a reaction that's going to happen from God's enemy, who is Satan, right? He's just not going to roll over and let these new believers who are filled with the Spirit and infused with the power of the Spirit just kind of roll into his kingdom and take the subject out of his kingdom into God's kingdom. So uh, he's always going to push back. There's always going to be opposition. There's going to be persecution. All of these things rolled up because he he does not want God doing what only God can do. And yet, despite his best efforts up to this point, we have noticed that he has been completely unsuccessful at stopping the early church in what they were doing. So here they started with 120 in an upper room, and then soon it went to 3,000, and then 5,000, and then 10,000. By Acts chapter 7, it is estimated that the church was about fifteen to 20,000 people strong. Because God was moving and God was doing things that were grabbing the attention of those around them. And so the question always is, well, why do you suppose that the early church was so successful? Oh, let me give you three observations up to this point uh, out of the book of Acts, and certainly there are others. But here's the first one that I observe is that they were all in, okay? When Jesus gave them the commission to go out and make disciples, when Jesus said, I'm going to empower you to be my witnesses, it wasn't like, hey, uh, okay, now that we've received the tongues of fire upon us, the Holy Spirit, let's just kind of dabble our toe in, in the pond uh, of humanity and see what God can do through us. No, from the get go, they were all, they were like Navy SEALs that said, this is God's assignment for us and we will not stop. We will not shut up. We will not stop talking about Jesus. That's the first reason. The second reason is because they astonished the Roman culture. They absolutely astonished the Roman culture. The early church took their faith to the streets. It was the Roman emperor, Julian, who was one of the fiercest persecutors against the early church who wrote these words. He says, admitted in disgust that these infernal Galileans feed our poor in addition to their own. And so the historian uh, Herbenhard Arnold noted that the Christians were spending more money in the streets uh, caring for the poor and the needy in the streets than all the other people in, that were spending money in their religious temples. And as a result of that, even the Roman emperor had to acknowledge the fact that they were doing more for the poor in the streets of Rome than Rome itself. And he infuriated him that they would actually do that. Another aspect is the early church is the one who took the babies that the Roman culture did not want. For example, in the Roman culture, a parent probably would not name their child until at least it was 10 days old because you took 10 days to determine whether or not you were going to keep that child. If you didn't like the way it looked, if there was some kind of deformity, or if it was a male and you wanted a female, or if it was a female and you wanted a male, it didn't matter whatever it was, whatever imperfection, they would throw you in the dumpster, they would lay you out on the streets, they would just kind of cast you off, and it was the early believers who were coming in, and they were picking these children up, and they were raising them as their own. Now, just kind of put it in our vernacular that we might understand in America, there are over 150,000 children in the foster parent uh, network. 
um, in the care system. If every church in America took one child and adopted them, raised them as their own, one, one child per church in America, we would wipe out the foster care system overnight. Now, statistically, we know that only 1% of those who come through foster care families ever graduate from college. 75% of all females who come through the foster care system will be pregnant by the time they're 21 years old. And so there is a real uh, uh, need, there is a real hurt in our society that really the church could rise up and address that social issue as well as many others. We have families here who have done foster care. We have a family now that's doing foster care. Uh, so we're covered, right? Okay. But the point is, look, there, there is epidemics all around us. There are addiction epidemics, opioids, all of these things that are happening all around us. But the, pro the church is not the ones who are rising up and addressing the issues. We are, we are pandering them off to other entities and other organizations. And God bless those organizations because they're filling the gap of what really the church ought to be doing in society. And so the reason why the early church had such a profound effect upon the Roman Empire is because they astonished the culture by their generosity. And thirdly, we noted all through the, these first chapters is that they walked in the fullness of the Holy Spirit. Jesus, the last thing he said to them is to go and to wait until the Spirit of God has come upon you because he is the power source that you're going to need in order to do what it is I'm calling you to do. And so they waited and the Lord fulfilled filled that promise, and as a result in walking in the fullness of the Spirit is that God began to do signs and wonders and miracles in their midst. Why in the world does God want to heal somebody's physical body? Because it's the avenue to your heart. It is the avenue to your soul. And so this church took the gospel of Jesus Christ, the gospel of the kingdom of God, and they believed in their hearts that God wanted to do a work in people's lives more than just forgiving them of their sins, more than just birthing them in into his kingdom, but God wanted to go much deeper than that, and he wanted to heal their internal wounds and their internal hurts, and he wanted to cast off and deliver them from demonic oppression in their lives. All of these things that God still seeks and desires to do in our day and time, but by and large, the church has backed off from that and said, well, you know, that was for a different time, for a different era, era and I don't know that God is still doing that today. Well, I want to tell you, God is still doing that today because God still wants to, to impact the lives of people, right? So, how does that happen? It happens by walking in the fullness of the Spirit. There's a difference between being indwelt by the Spirit of God and actually walking in the fullness of the Spirit of God. Every single believer is indwelt by the Spirit of God. Otherwise, you would not be a believer. It is the Spirit that bears witness to your spirit that you have become a child of God, but it's the fullness of the Spirit that God operates through his people that brings supernatural power into the situation that you find yourself or the life that you're seeking to influence for the kingdom of God. And so they, they were walked, man. This bottle is filled with a little bit of water. And so the question I get asked is, well, how in the world does God fill you with a person? Because the Holy Spirit is a person. He's spirit, but he's a person. Uh, is it like this water bottle? But, you know, that water bottle, you can fill it with water. But how do you get filled with a person? 
What does it mean to walk in the fullness of the Spirit? It means that the early believers, they were yielded to and they were enabled the Spirit of God to control them. They were depending upon and expecting and they were yielding to him to do what only he could do. Right? So if God wants to bring healing into somebody's life, guess what? Somebody's got to step up to the platform and be willing to go to that person, lay hands on them, and pray over them, and allow God to use you as the conduit by which he is bringing the blessings of heaven to bear upon the object of his concern here on earth. So somebody has to step out in faith, and somebody has to trust the Spirit of God to do through us what only he can do. And so those are in the early church, man, that is where they were. Now, obviously, up to this point, the emphasis has been upon the apostles and and how God was doing signs and wonders and miracles through them. But as we come to Acts chapter 7, we're going to note that there is a man named Stephen who's called out from among uh, the, the disciples. And Stephen, the Bible says, is also going to be doing the signs and wonders and the miracles. And it's interesting to me that in the end of chapter 7, just before his stoning, that all of a sudden Luke points out a very important aspect of his life. And that is that he stood there before his opponents and knowing that he's about to lose his life and he was there in the fullness of the Spirit. You see, they came to understand that the church is a spiritual body that carries out the directives of the head, the intelligence, who is Christ, right? He is the head, we are the body, and his purposes are to be carried out upon earth through us. How does a body work? It works by everyone having its own function. Listen, my knee cannot do what my heart needs to do. My eyes cannot do what my ears need to do. The bottom line is the reason why God says to us we are like the body of Christ, that everybody is unique and you have a unique personality and abilities and giftedness is because there is a unique function that you have within the body and no one else can do what God has designed you to do. And when you take all of the unique designs that God has placed in this building and you pull us all together as a body, then God can function in ways that are absolutely incredible if we walk yielded to the Spirit. And one of the weakening factors in the Christian church around the world over the past many years is we became platform-centered. We began taking preachers and rising them to stardom status and, you know, uh, I'll travel 20 miles, 40 miles, two hours to go hear a speaker in a coliseum, but I won't walk across the street and tell my neighbor about Jesus. What's wrong with that? And so we have so elevated people that and, and put them you know, on a pedestal, and we watch and we go and we say, well, I wonder who's singing, and uh, we, we enjoy the worship, we hear the speaker, uh, you know, we may take some notes, and then we kind of go home and, and we kind of do it all over again. And we can do that in church, right? So we can come and say, well, I wonder who's leading worship uh, this Sunday at our church, and you can hear me speak, and you can make notes and comments and, and say, well, that was okay or that wasn't, it doesn't matter, and then we kind of go home and we just do our thing during the week and we come back and we regather on Sunday and we kind of do our thing all over again. It's got to go deeper than that. It's got to go more than that. That's just dabbling our toes in the pond. We, if we are going to change the culture in which God has placed us, whether it be in your home, in your neighborhood, in your workplace, or in your school, you've got to get serious about Christ and get all in with him. And you've got to be willing to astound the culture, the people, 
around you through loving acts of kindness and just displaying the fruit of the Spirit. And that's what the fruit is for. The fruit is for other people. It's not for us. It's so that others can partake of us and know that they have tasted of God and He is good. So if I'm filled with the Spirit and the Spirit is bearing fruit of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and gentleness and all of those things, it, has a, it sets up the opportunity for me to share the message. It's very hard for me to share about the love of Jesus. It's very hard for me to share the message of the good news of the gospel of Christ if I'm living a life like everybody else, right? If I'm unloving, if I'm unkind, I'm impatient, I'm angry all the time, and all the things that are the exact opposite of the fruit of the Spirit, then who's going to listen to my message? They're thinking to themselves, what do I need Jesus for? If, I'm, if, he's, if he's going to make me a wreck like you, who needs him? I'm not saying that we're perfect. None of us are perfect. We are all progressing, right? We are all growing in our relationship with Christ. There's no perfection here, no perfection until we get into heaven. But certainly, Christianity in the New Testament is that every member who is a Christian finds their calling in God, and they begin carrying that out through prayer and singing and worship and counseling and exercising their gifts. Every member finding their niche and operating in that spiritual giftedness that God has given to you through his Holy Spirit. This, this church, they, they got no buildings, they have no microphones, they don't have all the electronics, they don't have money, they're not doing advertising, they don't have Twitter, they don't have Facebook, they don't have any of the Instagram, none of that stuff, but yet they are, they are making a difference. Think about all of the advantages we have in our day and time. And yet we're barely penetrating the culture. The church in the United States, in every denomination, is on the decline, has been for the last 10 years. It's not looking good. Listen, in the next 10 to 15 years, when all of our gray-haired saints of God, upon whom the church has built its itself upon their backs to our seniors who were faithful to God and walk with the Lord. And, and when they're gone, the church is really going to be hurting today because the, the decline in numbers is going to be staggering because that is like, you know, like for me, I'm at the, I'm at the peak of the baby boom generation. And when that all goes by the wayside, things are going to change drastically unless something drastically changes in the church. And so even though this church, Jewish establishment, this church had no uh, you know, backing by the Roman Empire, they weren't in tune with what they were doing. We learned last week that one of the ways that Satan came against the church is he brought up a problem in their midst. Now, like any problem that's brought in, into the midst of a group of people, it has the potential to split. A group of people, right? So churches have split over a lot of different things over the years. I mean, I, I know of one church that split because people argued whether they wanted to plant the piano on the platform on the left side, excuse me, or the right side. All right. So I pastored a church in Alabama and just a stone's throw, I mean literally a stone's throw away from me was the Methodist church that was the split off of the Baptist church that I was pastoring. You want to know what they split over? They split over their Saturday night singings as to whether or not they were allowed to bring alcohol to the singings or not. 
I mean, it's, it's amazing how Satan can get inside of a group of people and just fracture them and splinter them. And so here was the potential here. We have the, the Grecian Jews are complaining against the Hebraic Jews that they're, you know, they are not taking care of their widows. And so the church came to a conclusion. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to select from among you, from the Hellenistic Jews, we're going to select from among you seven men. Now notice what it says in verse 3 of chapter 6. It says, brothers, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. I find it ironic that these guys are going to be the, 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 they're going to be serving the first meals on wheels in the Bible. And one of the qualifications they had to have was to be in the fullness of the Holy Spirit. Now listen, if the church thought it important enough for them to be in the fullness of the Holy Spirit before they started ministering to the widows, where do you think they put that, that characteristic on their scale of importance? What if I were to say to those of you who have signed up to help us feed out of the Rickenbacker Air Force Base. Hey, uh, before you are able to cook, before you're able to go and to minister, I want to know, I want to be assured that you're walking in the fullness of the Holy Spirit. Do all Christians have the Holy Spirit living inside of them? Yes. But as we have labeled this series is, um, our bodies now host our bodies are now the temple of the Spirit of God who indwells us. Now, we want to look at why it is so essential that we walk in the fullness of the Spirit as we look at a biblical pattern that we're going to see in Acts chapter 6 and 7 that carries over into our lives in this day and time and why it is essential that we walk controlled by the Spirit of God and allowing Him to produce the fruit of the Spirit. I mean, think about the fruit of the Spirit. What is the first fruit? Come on, help me. Love. So love means that I love others just as God loves me, right? That the love of the Father has been shed abroad upon me through his Son, Jesus Christ, that I would in turn now love you with the same heart that God has loved me. If we as believers truly love other people with that kind of love, there would be absolutely not one single trace of racism in any Christian church. But that's not the case, is it? It would be wiped out because we know that that racism is something that is learned. We learned that ugliness. I mean, uh, look, you put a group of kids and a small children in a room, it doesn't matter what color they are, what race they are. Man, they're not sitting down. They, oh, I'm not playing with you because you know, you, you look different. No, they're going to play together. They, they could care less about what the color of a person's skin is. And so that stuff has to be injected in you. And yet when the love of Christ, when the love of God is injected in our hearts, then, then that stuff melts away, right? Amen? Come on. Help me. So one of the seven men is named Stephen, who is selected from among the people. Now, here's interesting about Stephen is Stephen has no credentials necessarily other than he, is, he meets the fullness of the Spirit and he is a man of, of wisdom, and so Stephen, uh, again, he, 
He has no ordination. He has no official title. Uh, He's just in charge of the meals on the wheels in the Bible. And when the Holy Spirit is working inside of you, listen, you, you don't need credentials. You don't need a formal ordination. You don't need titles. You don't need business cards. When the fullness of the Holy Spirit is operating in you and through you, you just get to work, right? You just start allowing God to use you however he's designed you to be used, right? So don't ever let the evil one push back against you. Well, you don't have an education. You don't have a formal, you know, you've never been to seminary and you've never been this and you've never been that hogwash. Every single one of these individuals of the early apostles, what did those who of the Sanhedrin say about them? Aren't these guys like these unschooled, uneducated Galileans? Nothing good could come out of Galilee. And yet they were turning the world upside down. Don't ever let anyone tell you that God cannot use you. I had a very close friend for many, many years who died uh, several years ago. This church, if you've been here for a long time, you know George Starkweather. And George Starkweather was a man who um, was just, he grew up, he was rough. He grew up in the, you know, uh, drug addict and just, just a rough individual. Grew up hard um, and, and just in the streets and and. God gloriously saved him, and he owned his own business. It was a a siding and roofing business, and uh, George contracted uh, throat cancer, and uh, he went to the doctors, and they said, look, here's what we need to do, and uh, this is what you're going to have to go through, the surgery, and it's going to be so much chemotherapy and all the things, and George looked at his doctor, and he said, listen, he says, "Uh, I believe that God's laid on my heart that I'm not to do that. I believe God's going to heal me. And his doctor looked at him and said, well, you might as well go home and just get a gun and shoot yourself because you're going to die. And so George, um, as God would have it, um, brought across his pathway some Korean pastors. And they invited him to come to Korea and to go on Prayer Mountain. And so George did. For three months, he spent on Prayer Mountain in Korea in South Korea, and God did. He healed him. And he, George has been in our church many times. He's led mission trips out of our church to Korea many, many times. Uh, and so God just gloriously saved and, and, and healed George of his throat cancer. And so God called George back to Korea. The pastor said, listen, we want you to come back. We want you to preach. We want you to share. We want you to, um, you know, George was a great singer. And, uh, and George was very hesitant. And his wife, Beverly, came to me. She says, pastor, she says, he needs, uh, could you encourage him? He doesn't feel qualified. He doesn't feel like, you know, he has enough education. He doesn't, you know, just kind of went down the list of what George was thinking in his own mind and his heart. And uh, God brought us across our uh, pathways. And, and I just tried to do nothing but be an encourager to him. Said, listen, do not let anything hold you back. You don't need an ordination. You don't need the credentials. You don't need the education. God has birthed something in your heart. God has miraculously healed you. And so I went on many mission trips with George Starkweather to South Korea. And I saw, in two weeks' time, I saw hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people come to faith in Christ. And people getting healed. And just God doing the miraculous through this guy. And and the entire team that he, he would bring with them. 
And so this is kind of like Stephen, man. He's just like out there and he says, you know what? I'm going to let God use me. I, I am going to get to the outline here. So here's the biblical pattern. All right, I know. So Stephen, he steps out and, and notice what it says um, in verse eight of chapter six. Now, Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, did great wonders and miraculous signs among the people. Opposition arose, however, from the members of the synagogue of the freedom. That means they were slaves and they're now free Jewish slaves. Jew, Jews of Serene and Alexandria, as well as the province of Cilicia and Asia. These men began to argue with Stephen, but they could not stand up against his wisdom or the spirit by whom he spoke. Then they secretly persuaded some men, we have heard Stephen speak words of blasphemy against Moses and against God. So they stirred up the people and the elders and the teachers of the law and they seized Stephen. They brought him before the Sanhedrin and they produced false witnesses who testified, this fellow never stopped speaking against this holy place and against the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs Moses handed down to us. And all who were sitting in the Sanhedrin looked intently at Stephen, and they saw that his face was like the face of an angel. I find this incredible that when the disciples, when the apostles were before the Sanhedrin, uh, it says that these, the Sanhedrin looked at them and knew that they had been with Christ, and now the same Sanhedrin is looking in the face of Stephen, and he, it's like the face of, an, in other words, they could tell by his countenance that he is in the presence of God and walking in the fullness of the Holy Spirit. Now, the biblical pattern that you're going to find, and I'm not going to go through, because Acts chapter 7 is nothing but a long speech that Stephen gives to the Sanhedrin council. He goes back and he retraces their roots and their history. So we're not going to spend the time on that. I want to take you to the end of that message. But let me give you the biblical pattern that you see throughout church history that's replicated hundreds and hundreds of times all across the world. And here it is. God calls people. God calls people. And he calls you to know Christ. He calls you to follow Christ. And he calls you to serve Christ. God issued a calling on your life. You were one day living and you just thought you were all that in a bag of chips and whatever else you had going on in your life. And you didn't, for some of you, maybe this calling happened in church. For some of us, you know, we didn't grow up in church. We didn't grow up in Christian homes. And, uh, you know, whatever, wherever God brought us um, in our lives and whatever was going on, it was like, you know what? I didn't care about God, didn't think about God, didn't care about the Bible, didn't know about the Bible, didn't hear about Jesus. Nobody told me about Jesus. And until, until suddenly God arranged and he orchestrated circumstances in my life that brought me across a pathway of a family who had a son my age, whom God began to use in order to infiltrate my life. And long story short is that God issued a calling upon my life to come to know Jesus Christ as my personal Savior and Lord and to trust him with the rest of my life. And that's really what the church is. It's ecclesia. It is the called out ones. So God has called us out of darkness into the kingdom of God's beloved son. And that calling also is a call to follow Christ, right? It wasn't, hey, Greg, just get, let's just get him saved and then, you know, kind of do your thing, whatever it is you want to do. 
No, I, I, I was called out of darkness into light, and now all of a sudden I'm beginning to follow Jesus, but I've got a lot to learn. There's a lot of baggage I brought into that relationship, and there's a lot of stuff that God needs to change in my life, and that's not going to happen overnight. It is progressive, right? It is over time that God begins to scale away from me the things that are unlike Jesus, and he's still doing that for me. He's still doing that for you, and there is the call to serve, the call to serve. We are all called to serve Christ in some way. That's why God has given you a unique shape. He's given you spiritual gifts, a heart, passion, abilities, a personality, experiences, painful experiences, educational experiences, you know, wonderful experiences. All make up your unique shape so that you can serve the very God who has called you out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved son. That's exactly what happened with the early church. God's calling upon them. And so if you obey, watch it. Here's the second part. If you obey the call, it brings great blessing into your life, all right? It brings great blessing. Listen, I don't even, I can't even begin to fathom where my life would be had I not responded to the call of the Holy Spirit upon my life to come into this personal relationship with Jesus Christ. I, I can assure you, I probably would have gone through multiple marriages. I mean, it was rough enough being married to me when I had Jesus, okay? So, uh, alone if I didn't have him. Trust me, her crown will be quite large when she, she gets to heaven. Um, and so when you, when you respond to the call of God upon your life in following Christ, when you respond to the call to serve Christ, there have been tremendous blessings that God has brought into my life and, what, and has brought into your life. I could just sit down and just write volumes and volumes of the ways that God has so blessed me. I mean, he's so, he's so blessed me to know somebody like George Starkweather and have the privilege to go to Korea and, and, and walk into, literally walk into a, a factory and they just stop production in the factory. They bring every worker up front and say, now here they are, share the gospel. And see God do some just incredible, amazing things. I mean, I cherish those and, and I'll always cherish those. But here's the third thing. Here's the third pattern. Blessing brings opposition and persecution. You see this exact pattern in, in Stephen's life, right? He responded to the call of God of salvation. He responded to the call of following him because he was a man who was living with wisdom and the fullness of the Holy Spirit. He responded to the call to serve God. And in serving God, it was blessing him. And God was doing incredible things through him. I mean, because in verse 7 and 6, it says, The word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly. And large numbers of priests were becoming obedient to the faith. And then all of a sudden, opposition rises up against him and, and tries to bring everything to a screeching halt. But it doesn't stop with that. It, it evolves into persecution because this group of individuals who are trying to put a stop to what Stephen is doing, uh, as he goes through their history, uh, he has a message for them. And in that message, they're not going to like what they're hearing. And as a result of that message, they're going to stone him. He's going to be the first Christian martyr in the early church. And so here's number four. If you persevere, if you keep persevering in spite of the opposition, in spite of the persecution that may come your way, if you will persevere, there will be greater blessing. See, when I got saved, 
You know, I was so excited. I was so fired up. I ran home. I told my mom, who was not a believer, and I sat down and said, Mom, you can't believe the incredible thing that has happened to me. She knew I was going to church. She didn't really care one way or the other. And I said, Mom, next Sunday night, I'm going to be baptized. Mom, will you come to my baptism? To which she responded, not for me. Do what you want to do, not coming. Crushed me. Now, that's certainly not persecution, but it's certainly a, a step of opposition. It was like already Satan stepping up to the plate and saying, uh-huh. Right? When I got saved, a lot of my friends and a lot of people in my family said, well, let's just see how long this lasts. Because I was, I was a hellion. I, I just was not a good person. And so a lot of times, one of the reasons why you miss out on the greater blessings of God is because you don't persevere. When things get hard, when things become difficult, you stop, you give up, you walk away, you run. Maybe that's your default mechanism. When things get hard, it's just like, okay, God, I've done enough. I'm, I'm out of here. I'm just, it's, this is just not for me. And so uh, here, here comes the happy face. Why, why, why do we want to persevere through opposition and persecution because of the greater blessing. And I've watched this over and over again is that when people get in that stage in their life and things get hard and difficult and Satan is just really pushing back. And when Satan, by the way, pushes back against you, he uses people to accomplish his will and plan and purpose, just like God uses people to accomplish his will and plan and purpose. And when he push back, pushes back and you just like, you know what, I'm not doing this anymore. And you just kind of stop and you stagnate. Watch that. Over time, you lapse into what Paul would call a carnal Christian. Yes, you are saved. Yes, you have the spirit of God inside of you, but you're not, you're not living like it because everything for you has, has just come to a screeching halt. And there's no sense of God's presence. There's no sense of God's favor over your life. And, and you've heard the call, you know him, but you're not following him, you're not serving him. And um, over time, you kind of lap back, lapse back into the old ways of life uh, and the old sinful pleasures, only this time you notice that something's different. Before I got saved, man, I could send my face off and not think a thing about it. But after I got saved, now when all of a sudden I'm stepping into avenues of sin again, now all of a sudden I'm miserable. And you know that you know the, the most miserable person in the world is a a believer who's living a carnal life, who's trying to live straddling the fence with one foot in the world and one foot in the kingdom, and you're no longer responding to following Christ or the serving Christ, and you're just kind of given up, miserable. You have to commit to a path, and you've got to go all in. I'm telling you, if you, if you will persevere, God will do some, just some, some things in your life that, that will even astound you. And so here's Stephen's message to his opponents, because um, I've got five minutes. Here's Acts chapter 7. If you read this, he's going to pull out like Abraham, Joseph, and, and uh, Moses. He's going to rehearse the, their, Israel's history. Here's, this, here's his whole message to the Sanhedrin. All you guys have ever done is reject what God has brought into your life as a blessing. It's all you've ever done. And so as you go through this, you have rejected your spiritual roots. 
It's where he starts out with in Acts 7 in the verse, first eight verses. You've rejected God's deliverers. You know, he, he sent Joseph, he sent Moses, but you rejected him. I mean, you know how it was with Moses, right? Moses is trying to get them into the promised land, but yet the people don't even want to follow him. In fact, they get to the point they want to kill Moses. Why? Because they don't want to go where Moses is leading them. And that's always the danger of leadership, right? If you're trying to take people where they don't want to go, guess what? Uh, you're served up on a platter eventually. And so that's what they kind of they did with Moses. You have, then he goes on, you've rejected God's law. God gave you a law that would help you and prosper you. You've rejected God's temple. You've rejected God's truth. And then here's the key. Here's the key to Stephen. Let's look in, um, and we'll wrap it up with this in, in um, Acts chapter 7, verse 51, he looks at him and says, you stiff-necked people with uncircumcised hearts and ears, you are just like your fathers. You always resist who? The Holy Spirit. There is great danger in resisting the Holy Spirit. Was there ever a prophet your fathers did not persecute? They even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one. And now you have betrayed and murdered him. Speaking of Jesus, you have received the law that was put into effect through angels, but have not obeyed it. When they heard this, they were furious and they gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, there's that phrase, full of the Holy he looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. And as they, cut, they covered their ears, yelling at the top of their voices. They, they all rushed him, dragged him out of the city, began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witness laid their, witnesses laid their cloths, their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul, while they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Who's that sound like? Jesus on the cross. When they had said this, he fell asleep. Here's the key to Stephen's life is that he walked in the fullness of the Holy Spirit. So here's the blessings of walking in the fullness of the Holy Spirit. Notice what it says. It says that when he, when, man, when they were coming in, can you imagine this? Now listen, this is not like two people are coming at him. All right, the Sanhedrin alone was made up of 70 individuals. And there's others. I mean, how would you like to, where there is a mob that is so angry and so infuriated with you that they all come rushing at you. And here's how he responds. Fullness of the Spirit is that the Spirit directs you to keep your eyes fixed upward. It says that <laughs> full of the Holy Spirit, he looked up into heaven. Why was Stephen looking up into heaven? Because that's where his citizenship was. Listen, he's looking to the very God who is his refuge and his strength. He's looking to the very God who is the only one who has the capability of delivering him, whether by death or by some miraculous manner. I don't know what it is you're going through life, but I know this. If, you, if people are pushing back and you're trying to serve the Lord and you're wanting to serve God and you're walking in the fullness of the Holy Spirit, it doesn't matter what pushback comes against you. Listen, you need to look up, look up. Look up, look up. That is where you want to keep your eyes focused. It's no accident the Apostle Paul says we are to keep our eyes 
fixed upon things above. Always look up. It's the only way that you can persevere through all of the pushback, through all of the heartache, through all the struggles, through all the things that the enemy is going to throw in your pathway to get you off the path of following Christ, of serving Christ, and setting yourself aside and thinking to yourself, well, I'm just not worthy anymore, and I've too much water's gone under the bridge, and I've done too many things wrong. You must keep your eyes looking up. Secondly, the Spirit gives you revelation. When he looked up, what did he see? He saw the glory and the splendor of God. In other words, he saw how God, how huge God is. <laughs> I know that problems can seem very overwhelming, especially when they're happening to you. All right, I, I get that. I understand that. And so he's looking at what? He's seeing the glory of God. In other words, God is giving him a glimpse. God is giving him a vision. God can enable, I don't care what it is you're going through, God can enable you to see him as he is. That he is a glorious, splendid, splendid, there's not a word, glorious being who, who is, God is so big, he's so vast that you take into account what the angel said to Mary. Nothing is impossible for God. But you believe it and you act upon it. All right, so if God has equipped you with his Holy Spirit and God has called you to serve him, that God can use you as he used the apostles, as he uses Stephen, he can also use you. Trusting is not in knowing how he necessarily is going to do it, but that he is going to do it. When you put your belief in God, you're putting into his hands your whole person. Right? You are trusting him unequivocally. And when you are filled with the Holy Spirit, you just keep seeing Jesus and the glory and the greatness of your heavenly Father who loves you with an incredible, passionate love that goes beyond everything. And listen, I can deal with a lot of stuff when I see the bigness of my God, because when I see the greatness and the bigness of my God, I see how little my problems really are. But if I focus on my problems, now all of a sudden my problems become bigger than my God. I think that one of the mistakes that we make as followers of Christ is this, is that we've just taken God and we've made him just a little bit bigger than us. And the Spirit will open your spiritual eyes. Stephen looked up, he saw Jesus standing, right? In the New Testament, this is the only time Jesus is ever seen standing. And what I jotted down in my, in my notes was Stephen is about to give his life for the gospel, and here's the principle. Stand up for Jesus, and he'll stand up for you. He wasn't just looking with his physical eyes. He was looking through the eyes of revelation. God was giving him this. Listen, when the Holy Spirit brings you revelation, he is, he is allowing you to hear things and to see things that you normally would not hear or not see. See, when, whenever our, our, our band's up here playing, some of you, if you're a bass player, man, you pick out the bass notes. I don't hear none of that. Uh, if you're a keyboard player, you probably pick out the mistakes they've made, you know, if somebody missed a note or whatever it might be. You're a guitar player, you're going to pick up, if you play drums, you're going to pick up on the drum beat. I mean, when I listen to songs, I can tell you what, what, what they're hitting and kind of what the beat is because that, that's just the way I'm wired now. I'm not a good drummer, but uh, I'm trying. So, 
But, and the point is this, is that, listen, when you are tuned into the Father, when you're tuned into the Spirit, when you're walking in the fullness of the Spirit, when you are facing op- opposition and you need to persevere, listen, God's going to open up his word. He's going to open up revelations to you that will enable you to see him, to see Jesus. And listen, Jesus is on the throne of heaven. And what is he doing while he's there? He is interceding on your behalf. And God will speak words to you that will bring encouragement and that will bring perseverance so that you will not give up. And the Spirit, and here's the last one, here's how you know the Spirit enables you to forgive. I mean, Stephen, these guys are stoning him, and yet he's praying that God would forgive them. How do you do that? You and I both know that when somebody has severely hurt you, One of the most difficult things for us as human beings to do is to exercise forgiveness. (laughs) When somebody's put the knife in, they've twisted it. It's like, that's when you know you're walking in the fullness of the Spirit. He enables you to do things you can't do on your own. Now, here's the principle that I think Stephen lived by as we close. Um, It's not about me. It's not about me. I think that was the mindset of the early church. It's not about us. It's not about who shows up on Sunday. It's about who's not here. Who's outside the kingdom of God? Who do we need to go out and try to rescue? Who do we need to go out and exercise the fullness of the Holy Spirit? Who do we need to go out and pray for? Who do we need to go out and maybe uh, pray over them and allow God to bring healing into their lives, whether it be emotionally or spiritually? Who do we need to serve? Who do we need to go after? It's not about us. And trust me, there are many years I made it about me, right? There are a lot of ways you can do that because, again, the, the enemy, we always think that when Satan comes against us, it's always in these, you know, huge you know, ways that it's just like, oh, you know, somebody's stoning me. No, 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 he's far more subtle than that. It can just be a, a heart of pride. I can walk out of the pulpit and say, man, you, you know, Greg, you really preached a good sermon today. It's pride. If, if my self-worth rises and falls on how I feel about whether or not the sermon was good or not or how many people responded or the way that they responded, I'm in trouble. A lot of pastors do that. There are a lot of ways that Satan comes against you in opposition. Listen, church, God wants to do some some just amazing things. And you look around and say, you know what, there's just not that many of us How many started off in the early church? 120. And God multiplied and he multiplied. Is he going to multiply at the rapid rate? That Probably not. He could. But if we're willing to get all in and to just absolutely astound our culture and if we're willing to walk in the fullness of the Holy Spirit, and allow the Spirit of God to use us and take it to the streets, God will do some amazing things. Let's bow our heads together. Father, we, uh, 
we come to you as needy children. And we just lift up our hands to you. And we just cry out, Abba, Father. May you help keep our eyes looking up. Not looking in, not looking around. That just gets us depressed. But looking up. And to see your greatness and your vastness and your splendor and your glory. May we see Jesus high and lifted up. May we take comfort in knowing that he is interceding for us and that he stands in the gap. Lord, your grace is so amazing. We're not going to ask that his spirit, your spirit will come and, and control us. We are coming to surrender our spirits to your spirit beginning at this moment. Teach us to pray as a church to pray for those who who have never heard about the name of Jesus or who are only slightly acquainted or those who have had a bad church experience. Give us a burden to pray. Grant us the spirit of mercy and we would let go of all resentment and bitterness that we are carrying against people who have done evil to us. Lord, we we have done evil to you and you showed us mercy. And so we release those people because your grace is so amazing. So we present ourselves today as candidates to be filled with your Holy Spirit. So Spirit of God, come. Show us the glory and the vastness and the greatness of the God that we follow that we might be more than conquerors. Allow us to see Jesus who died for us and who is making intercession on our behalf. Teach us, Holy Spirit, to be merciful. You know the battles that we face. You know the battles that have caused our hearts to become like stone and hard, calloused. May you take our hearts and make them soft and tender again. May the anger melt away. May the bitterness evaporate. May the prejudice of any kind be no more. And let this be a sign to all who come across our pathway that as they see our love for one another, that they will know that we are your disciples and that we follow a loving, kind, and gracious God who wants relationship with us. And that's our prayer in Jesus' name. Let's stand together. Um, You're here this morning, and maybe you're like me, um, and I knew about Jesus just because of what somebody told me but didn't really care. But yet one day God reached into my heart And I knew it was the Spirit of God just tugging on my heart. And I was gripping the back of the pew and saying, Lord, I will not not be moved. I will not be moved. And as clearly as possible, God said to me, if you'll take one step, I'll help you take the rest. And I did that day. 
and my life was forever changed. Maybe that's you today. Maybe you're angry at God. Maybe you're bitter at God. Maybe you're angry at the fact that you're even here today. You came because somebody promised you lunch. Amen. Yeah. So... God wants to do incredible work in your life. He wants, to, he wants to change. He wants to root out all of that anger and bitterness and resentment and unforgiveness that's destroying you and to replace it with his fruit, love and joy and peace and patience and kindness. So if you're here and you've never opened up your heart and your life to Jesus, let me encourage you. You can do it while we're singing after the service. I'll be here at the front. I'd love to talk to you about that. We have people who would love to pray for you if you need prayer. If you need healing, whether it be physical or emotional or demonic deliverance of some kind of oppression that's on you and you just know it's there. It's incredible how many people we've run across recently that just they just know there's just something oppressing them. Listen, we have a team of people here who will pray for you. Just come. We would love to minister to you as we sing.